Hello and welcome back to the Thundersticks Podcast. I am your host, Ben Kreider, and today I'm going to be talking about the Thunder's recent game against the Detroit Pistons, as well as analyzing the Thunder from their last three games, who has kind of been shining in that period, and maybe where the team needs to look to work on heading into their next contest. So just going into yesterday's game against the Detroit Pistons, here you have two teams that, by all accounts, they're they're not winning games. I mean, the mindset, you can't just immediately say someone's tanking or, or whatnot, but both teams are clearly in the rebuilding phase. You had, from both sides, new additions, players that have hardly even played more than five games this year. I'm talking both sides. I told you yesterday about how the Thunder got two new pickups in Jalen Horde and Justin Robinson from the G League. They got pretty big minutes. And for the Detroit Pistons as well, they were playing their younger prospects. They played their second round pick, Saban Lee, 16 minutes in this game. And when you continue to look down the line, you have even more players. Frank Jackson, yeah, our preseason standout. He played 17 minutes in this game. And you had other G League gyms like Tyler Cook, who played half the game for them. So both teams, clearly, they are trying to kind of branch out and see if they can find anyone on their roster they can maintain in the future. So this isn't, you know, entering the night, this hardcore battle that we've seen in years prior. And despite that, there was an overwhelming presence from the Detroit Pistons. From the get-go, they really stormed out on on top. I mean, they made their first four of five tries. Three of them came from Josh Jackson, of all people. And then Hamadou Diallo came in not too long after. And you know what his first play was? Something we have seen hundreds of times while he played for the Oklahoma City Thunder. Alexei Pokashevsky was on him at the top of the key. He was trying to ISO him up. He took him right to the paint. Poku was backpedaling. And once you get someone in that position, Diallo always strikes. So he had Poku right where he wanted him. He elevated, skied up, gave you that hang glide effect on the layup again where he just waits up there until his defender starts falling down and then he'll hoist up the shot. So very soft touch from him on these layups. It hit the back rim, end up hitting the backboard and then falling in. So he got on a smooth finish to begin the game. And so did everyone on the Pistons. I mean, they went on a 17-0 run in the quarter. Originally, the Thunder were up 8-7. No big deal. Now you're looking at a 26-8 Pistons lead. And Oklahoma City, they started looking towards their younger guys. Both Horde and Robinson got time. There was a 7-2 push from the Thunder. And then by the end of the first, it wasn't even that bad. They were only down 11, 30-19. So pretty wild series of events if we're going to be completely honest. And then in that second quarter, I talked about Frank Jackson going crazy once again. Both sides swapped 12-0 runs with each other. The Pistons, they were looking everywhere. Frank Jackson had five out of the team's 12 points. And then Justin Robinson came into the game. Originally, he hit a top of the key three, but Tony Bradley was moving on the screen that freed him up. So that, that was voided. But then not too long after, he had another top of the key three exact same situation exact same result nothing but net with a left-handed jump shot 
Not too long after that, he got inside for a layup. And then in another play, he had a fast break opportunity. No one was ahead of him. Josh Jackson pretty much just smacked him on his way up for a layup. And it ended up warranting a flagrant foul because Jackson was nowhere close to the basketball. He ended up making one of those free throws. But he really made a lasting impact. I think that's really where you saw most of the energy um, in the night. I think the the stretch you saw from Robinson really elevated everybody on the team. But after that 12-0 run, not a lot was going down. There was a Teo Maladone 50-foot bounce pass that he threw to Svee. Looked like Magic Johnson kind of pass. Taking that right out of Michael Cage's quote book. But I'm actually going to take his quote. I thought that that was a pretty decent one from the game. Some of the other ones are... Not too crazy. I think he compared um, Ty Jerome to Gary Payton or something, probably like five minutes after that. So he's a bit iffy on the quotes. I like that one, though. So Maladone, he had his kind of Kodak moment in the game, but the Thunder, they weren't able to chip down the lead. They were still down 11 points heading into halftime. It's because they couldn't make a shot. They were shooting in the high 30s from the field in that first half. Detroit shot a whole 10% better than them and when it came to it you know when you're looking at our roster right now we don't have the superstars we need to find pieces who can really take the star role on a game-by-game basis and we try to find that through Moses Brown to start out the game he just could not fend up against Isaiah Stort rookie six foot eight 250 pounds does not look 250 this guy looks massive very burly he couldn't get a shot off against Stewart. I think he rejected him two or three times in the first half alone. So he had zero points to show for it. So very different. I mean, we really just had a sacrifice on threes. Could not make any of the shots. You had any everybody just going in and out trying to make plays. But not enough to kind of stop the team effort you had going for the Pistons. And then the Thunder... In the third, they had a shot to actually take the lead. They went on an 8-0 run. And they were down just seven points. But just as Thunder games always go, right as we get a run, the Pistons get one or opponent, the opponent would get one right back. And in the Pistons case, they gave a run that was twice as hard. They ended up going on an insane run. They were up 23 points in this exact same quarter. And by the end of the frame, they were up 16-93-77. And what we've seen Mark Dagnall do when these games are kind of looking like blowouts in the fourth quarter, he wants to try out the second unit. And that's where, you know, you get to see all the randomness where we kind of got to be able to see Roby playing at the small ball five at some times. You get to see Alexei Pokachevsky taking the basketball up. Kenrich Williams doing the same as well. Justin Jackson, when he was here, him playing point guard. Just kind of the wacky lineups you don't really expect. That's what Mark Dagnall likes to do. So that's what happened in the fourth quarter. Dwayne Casey actually matched that exact same mindset. That's when you got to see a lot of the two-way guys kind of go at it. And um, Detroit, no matter who was on there, they were still feeling it. They made nine of their first 12 shots. That put that game to rest. One kind of important Note from that second half, though, Kenrich Williams was he was hobbling around the court for a little bit in the game, so he ended up getting pulled, and he got taken out for the remainder of it. It was 
an ankle sprain. I believe it was the left ankle. Probably going to get reevaluated heading into the next game, which is going to be tomorrow. We'll see what his status will be. But the Thunder, yeah, they were very, very shorthanded entering the peak in this game. You know, they were able to get some good contributions from the new guys, but it's just not enough whenever we don't have everybody there and when we don't really have a set game plan. Like, that is that is something that nobody can be prepared for. Five of your main pieces getting injured as well as two new guys who... Horde, he's been through the system. He was in training camp and was with the Oklahoma City Blue. But Grant Gibbs' system is completely different than Mark Dagnalt. So he was kind of not used to it. Justin Robinson, he's been playing for the Washington Wizards and the Delaware Bluecoats. So he didn't have a clue. They just were playing based off of instinct and intuition. And I think that's really how the Thunder have been playing. There's been a lot of kind of streetball-esque moves you see where, um, you know, in a contending team, you know, the the glamorous 50-foot bounce pass, hell yeah, if it works, that's going to be on a highlight tape for years to come. But if that's a turnover, which in all likelihood, that's a 99% chance at failure, the coach is going to be screaming at you and probably pulling you out of the game. We have not seen Mark Dagnall really show his emotions, but if you plop Tom Thibodeau in the role Dagnall is having right now and he saw some of those plays, he would be furious. And as a fan, you know, I'm not going to complain when I see kind of these uh, high energy plays. And when they don't work out, it's fine because we want to see them grow. We want to see them make the flashy plays. Are they always the smartest? Maybe not, but I'm here to watch a good show. You know what I mean? So I'd rather see, you know, the, the Maladone passes, kind of like the uh, the highlights we've seen from, from everybody. But I, they do kind of end up causing some issues. I know in our last couple of games, turnovers has ju- have just been plaguing us. In this game, it wasn't as prevalent. There were 15 turnovers, but you still don't want to be that high. You're trying to dwindle that down, probably at least to a baker's dozen, but even at that point, you still want to try to attack a couple more down. I know in the previous game against the Trailblazers, ball handling was a major issue. I think Isaiah Roby almost got in the double digits in that category, but kept it a little bit more controlled when it came to the ball. We just could not match them. You know, the Pistons shot over 50% from the floor, 46% from three, 13 of 28 there. While Oklahoma City, they barely shot over 40%. They shot 42% in this game. But the major, major issue, if you're not able to hit perimeter shots, and this is something we've seen from the Thunder when they're not making their threes. You really don't have a gigantic chance with them unless you get the Moses Brown 20, 15, and 5 game or whatnot. They shot 5 of 27 from the beyond the arc. That's not even 20%. 18.5% is what you're looking at. And when your offense really revolves around inside-out game, there's no real room for mid-range jumpers. If you're not able to make like 75% of your inside shots, you're going to need the three. And they just cannot find any sort of rhythm right now from downtown. There were a couple of good players from this contest, and it starts with Alexei Pokashevsky. If we're going to be completely honest for a second, Poku has probably been the Thunder's best player in the month of March. Three out of his last four games, he has dropped at least 
19 points. That's exactly what he did in this game. 19 points on 8 of 19 shooting. A little bit below where you would want it. You're not going to complain though, obviously. And then 2 of 6 from downtown. So compared to the rest of the squad, hey, that's actually pretty good. He made 40% of the team's triples in the game. And then outside of that, he got 4 rebounds. But a kind of a curveball here. Didn't actually have any assists in this game. And we have seen Poku go off in the assist category. He's gotten a lot of games where he's been able to tally like 15 points, 8 rebounds, and he'll still sprinkle in 3 to 4 assists. Absolutely blank there. His role was kind of clear from the get-go. He was getting the basketball, and he was jacking up shots. Not a lot of passing just in general from the roster, so you can't blame him. Only 17 combined for the team. You always want to hit the 20 mark, if not higher. 23 is probably the base average you want to be trying to hit for wins. So 17 is never going to do it for you. I'm not going to blame Poku for not being able to find any passes because, hey, if there were open passes, they were going to be to the perimeter and those shots simply were not dropping in for the team in this game. So Pokashevsky, he was getting praise from a lot of the guys for just how he has been developing along. Poku himself even talked about how he has felt more comfortable playing and pretty obvious that you can see through the television. That is something that you have kind of noticed. Like he did kind of have a couple of plays where he was frantic with the basketball. He had four turnovers on the night. But when it comes to shooting, He's able to pick his spots a lot better than he was prior to going into the Orlando bubble. When you look past Poku, you look towards Fima Kailuk, former Piston, trying to get a little bit of revenge here. You know, he kind of did not have the best role with the Pistons prior to be being traded. Like Wayne Ellington at times was actually getting nods over him, as crazy as that sounds. But now... He was able to show off. He had 17 points on the game, 5 of 10 from the field, still ice cold from 3. This is what he was kind of traded over for originally, shooting. Just a frigid 1 of 4 there, but he made up for it, attacking the basket and getting to the line 6 times. He hit all 6 of them. He was not done yet, though. He ended up getting 3 rebounds, 2 assists, and a career-high four steals against the Detroit Pistons, so maybe he has already kind of stole some signs from Dwayne Casey and all these other guys. Makes sense when you've been around them for months and months, but yeah, he was just really adapted to them. I mean, he was all over the passing lanes in this game, so hats kind of got to go off to him for how he was playing. He talked about how afterwards, you know, he was kind of chatting it up with some of the Piston guys, pretty close to them. Diallo was doing the same when the Final buzzer sounded. You had both Diallo and Svi kind of going to the other side, giving handshakes to really everyone there. So kind of mutual respect from both sides. It's what you want to be seeing. Something that wasn't too mutual, and I don't know if you consider it respectful or not, uh, came from Moses Brown and his matchup, Tyler Cook. I talked about Tyler Cook in like the first five minutes of the podcast, I think, just talking about how he's kind of been in the G League. Well, him and Moses Brown, they actually had a pretty big duel back in February. Tyler Cook was playing for the Iowa Wolves. 
he was not actually with the Detroit Pistons for Orlando. He ended up getting signed by Troy Weaver to come help out the franchise, but he was on the Iowa Wolves. They were winless at the time. They needed one win, and they were going up against one of the best teams in the league at that current state in the Oklahoma City Blue. So Tyler Cook and Moses Brown were the main players from each team. And Tyler Cook actually outscored Moses Brown on the night. He had 26 points. Moses Brown had 22. It was pretty scrappy all around. You guys already know with Moses Brown how he plays. It was no different in the G League. He is all under the rim, just attacking you, playing pinball with the basketball. If he misses the first shot, he's going to corral the rebound chuck it right back up. Tyler Cook, he's kind of the same way. Pretty aggressive guy. He's not 7 foot 1, 7 foot 2. He's about 6 foot 9 to 6 foot 10, but he's able to use his size pretty well. He's a pretty athletic player and to find him in the G League kind of wild good pickup for the Pistons. But it was just really a muscling contest from the jump in that game and the same exact stuff kind of translated to yesterday's contest because Moses Brown you already had the first line of defense in Isaiah Stort who was kind of clamping him up Stort had four blocks I can tell you right now at least two of them came off of rejecting Moses Brown in the game but he was having an issue just getting inside off of him with Tyler Cook not as difficult because Stort like I talked about super jacked really burly Cook's not like that he's more lean toned up still but like He's not as jacked. So he was able to get inside. He had 11 points. Brown, that is. He had 11 points in the game. Almost all of them came on Cook. But Cook, he was firing back too. He had nine points of his own. And when it came to the rebound battle, both of them were just scrapping over it the whole entire time. You had Moses Brown getting rebounds, screaming some uh, expletives that I will not be repeating on here. And Tyler Cook, he was actually doing the exact same as well. Like, he would go up for a shot, he'd get hacked, get to the free throw line, and then he'd start jawing at Moses Brown. Just jawing at anybody he could. Pretty emotional for both of them in the game. Isaiah Stort, he wasn't showing off a lot of stuff when it came to uh, trash talk or anything, but, you know, he was working in silence. He ended up having 12 points on the game, 6 rebounds, and he shot 4 of 6 from the field pretty surprised from Stort honestly I thought he was just going to be a post player but he hit two mid-ranges kind of threw off the defense a little bit I think that's just really how the game was like the Pistons they just caught fire in the weirdest spot like who would have expected them to shoot 46 percent from three absolutely not me like Josh Jackson I know Chris Fisher was talking about this He's like a career 28% three-point shooter, and he goes out as making almost any jump shot he wants in the game. You got Jeremy Grant. He's doing whatever every game. I mean, he had 21 against the uh, the Thunder, but he was doing the same. He was still shooting his threes. He was getting right around the basket. So three-level scoring from them really ended up killing the Thunder. But yeah, it, it was a very tough time just trying to uh, gather the emotions in a game like this so brown ended up eclipsing the double digit mark didn't look like it originally that he would uh get there but good on him he did and then his backup in tony bradley did not do bad at all shot four of seven really just under the basket taking some close shots 
had nine points there and nine rebounds in just 22 minutes. So probably his best game he's had in the Thunder jersey thus far. I know he's probably gotten over 10 points in a game, but almost got a double-double here. And the Detroit Pistons centers, it's not, you know, a Rudy Gobert or just one of those top-of-the-line centers you're facing off against. But I think that their center core, pretty dang underrated. I mean, Isaiah Stewart looked great in the game. Already told you how Tyler Cook was doing. That was a pretty good one-two punch. And the fact he was kind of able to shake him up was pretty good. I actually thought he did a better job on Isaiah Stewart than Moses Brown did, surprisingly. So that was something I took a notice. Ty Jerome had 10 points in this game, shot 5 of 12. Once again, though, didn't even make a three. That's what he has been really known for. He's been making limitless threes, at least one of them a game. Couldn't find any sort of success, so no one was able to really pick it up in that area. But there were two guys, as I talked about, who did have to come in and try to pick up the slack. Wasn't enough. You can't expect two guys who, you know, 30 minutes removed from signing a contract have to play in an NBA game are going to be strumming out 40 points, but they did pretty good. Two of the better players in the game. So I already kind of talked about Justin Robinson and his second quarter run. That's really where he found his bread and butter. I think that's where he got six of his nine points, but he looked very good. I mean, six foot one, you know, at this stage of the NBA, I think 6'1 is still really tiny, even if you're playing point guard right now. Like 6'3 is the lower level now. I think 6'4 is probably the average. So he's a bit down there, but he did not seem really discomforted by any of them at all. He was throwing out some beautiful laser passes across the court. Told you about his left-handed jump shot. Hit that one from the top of the key. Missed on four other tries. But, you know, you still got to talk about the the second three that went in. It just did not count. He's got a pretty sweet-looking shot, and he has a crazy first step. We didn't get to see him much in the isolation game. Really, everything he did was created by a high ball screen from Tony Bradley. I think that was kind of a pairing that you saw a lot, but I want to see him in some isolation situations because if you look at his G League tape with the Delaware Bluecoats this season, that's where he was feasting. You get him isolating. He's got a beautiful between the leg behind the back combo, kind of free him up a little bit. And honestly, you can try to throw in a screen, but as the play is kind of already forming, that's when you want to hit it. So he gets out that combination, really gives him a quick first step, and he's not, you know, unathletic when it comes to finishing at the basket. He's not going to be slamming it down, posterizing on people, but he'll be able to get up there and finish with an acrobatic layup. So I thought he was a nice surprise. You know, as I mentioned in the last episode, I don't know if he's really going to be secured, especially because SGA just is not here once he comes back. Is Robinson really going to have any rotational minutes? Likely not, but it's nice to see them just kind of try some other players out. And I think for 23 years old, Robinson probably might be able to carve himself out on another two-way contract maybe next year on a 10-day for us. But I could see a team needing a point guard actually looking towards him because he did look pretty solid on uh, on both sides of the basketball. When you look at Jalen Horde too, I really went in depth on him yesterday. Not so much Robinson, but Horde. I mean, he's got a story. He's already been connected with Moses Brown for two years. Apparently, 
when Horde was in France, him and Teo Maladon were good buddies. They competed in one of those like under 16 championships. Horde was 16, Maladon was 14, and they ended up playing in that. But he had ties and looked pretty involved in the game. Moses Brown crediting him as a guy who's going to play at 100%, and that's exactly what he did. He ended up having 10 points in the night, 4 of 10 from the field, 0 of 1 from 3. Not a good 3-point shooter, 22% shooter with the Oklahoma City Blue. So might need to stray away from there, but didn't really shoot there a ton, as I talked about. Got to the line twice. That's really where he was making his money in Orlando. But the thing that really made me excited, six rebounds, four of which were on the offensive side. And this is something that I think Moses Brown would be raving about right now. This is right up his alley. Moses Brown, master at getting offensive boards. Jalen Horde, I don't think was like this in Orlando. And it's something that I talked about. Like under Grant Gibbs, he was not used probably to the best of his abilities. He was constantly changing. He is a point forward who likes to attack the basket, defensive mastermind at the three and four, but he was used as a spot up and he was out of the, out of the play. I mean, he was at the perimeter every single time off of missed shots. The only players getting rebounds were Xavier Simpson, Ty Jerome, Poku, if he was somehow in the pick and roll, and then the two centers in Moses Brown and Omer Yurt 7. He wasn't part of that. We got to see him under the glass in this game, and he was amazing at it. He didn't show off the insane vertical I was expecting from him, but he was still elevating enough to the point where he was jawing at defenders. He was able to rip balls out of their hands and try to create extra plays. So that's what I loved from him when it comes to just making layups. Jalen Horde's really good at that anyways. So I think probably three out of those four makes, maybe even all four of them were just simple. Grab the ball, go up for a two-handed layup. Kind of had a lot of protection. I know that he was on the weak side for the majority of his scores. So I thought it was a good game from both of them. To be honest, this is something that they can definitely build off of. I didn't see either of them and say, you know, why would we sign them? I think that Robinson deserved a shot, and so did Jalen Horde. Robinson, you know, you can kind of tell based on pace if someone deserves to be playing at the next level. This guy was electric. He was lightning fast. That's something I think GMs all around the league are going to look at with him. That's probably why the Thunder picked him up in the first place. And when it came to Jalen Horde, still didn't get to see everything from him. Like I said, I want to see him kind of working in the pick and roll, trying to slash to the basket and make his own plays. I understand why he was in a reserved role right now. Like he is just in the incubation phase for the year because he's booked for the rest of the season because of his two-way contract and how the restrictions work on there. There practically are none this year. So I'm excited to see him kind of break out in the Thunder's next game, which they are going to be playing tomorrow against the Charlotte Hornets. Key note about this game, you're not going to see LaMelo Ball or Gordon Hayward playing for them. And the Hornets, they're not doing that bad. You know, they're 25 and 24 in the Eastern Conference. That's not even a play-in. That's you are a lock for the playoffs right now. Might be subject to change, but they're in the playoff race 
and they're going to be down. So you're going to see a lot of Devontae Graham, Terry Rozier most likely, Cody Zeller. He's back. We didn't see him in the first matchup. So we'll see. You know, it's definitely not as glamorous. I know if LaMelo was in the game, it would have made things a lot cooler. But um, it's still going to be a good, good test for us. I think that with us being drained of majority of our starters and just key rotational pieces... We uh we definitely do kind of need a game where we're playing you know a little bit more of a watered down roster. Detroit was that, um, but you know they've been that way the whole entire year, so I guess they can kind of have that chemistry already. With the Charlotte Hornets, they're still trying to figure themselves out without Lamelo and without Gordon Hayward. So I think we caught them at a good time, not just because it could get us a win, but because it can kind of get us on the right track. Because these last three games. They have been ugly. I know Mark Dagnall loves looking at the positives, and he's definitely hyping up the guys. You know, he always wants to keep them in good spirits, but it's got to be rough losing three straight blowout games. And I'm talking all of them were 20 plus. Almost all of them were over 25 points. You know, one point shy of that with the Detroit matchup. When we're looking at the past three, lost by 24 against the Pistons, lost by 48 against the Trailblazers, and we lost by 37 against the Phoenix Suns. That is an average of 36.3 points. That is disgusting. And because of those three losses, the Thunder are now tied for the worst net rating in the league. I'm not going to put too much merit into that because it is based really off of those three games. That's going to really shapeshift you in terms of the numbers there, especially whenever we are not fully done with the season yet. But yeah, I mean, it has not been a pretty week for Thunder basketball. And a lot of the players just have not been able to feel it. Poku, he's kind of lit the torch here as they talked about him kind of going off for 19 plus and three out of the last four. When you take out that fourth game, He's averaging 15.7 points, shooting below 30% from the field, but 44% from three. So he is a good part of our last three games. I think he's really been the major cog in the system. Maladon, surprisingly, is actually the leading scorer in the last three. I think it's because in the uh, in the Phoenix Suns game, that's where he got his career high, 33 points. Really got in the record book there. So did Poku. But he's, he's averaging 18, shooting still in the upper 30s. That's pretty bad for an NBA player. You need to be shooting at least in the mid-40s if, uh, you know, if you want to be competing at a very high clip. But shot 38%, pretty much the same from distance. 37% from there is pretty good for him. And then he's been getting to the line a ton averaging over six a game and he's been making 84 percent of those a little bit of surprise here though he's not been getting a ton of assists he's only averaged 1.7 maybe it's because with sga out he's not really in a sidekick role i don't really think there is a clear number one option and because of that there's no straight up you know play set i don't think you're running out of a of a uh, normal transition play you know, entering the half court thinking, you know, this is what the play is going to be. I'm going to pass it to Ty Jerome. He's going to get the shot, whatever. They're just kind of playing street ball, as I've talked about. So I think that's maybe partially why he's not averaging a ton of assists right now. Fully expect that to go right back up. 
Between those two teenagers, though, not a lot of daylight. I mean, Kenrich Williams is averaging 11 in the last three, but um, he might not be playing against the Charlotte Hornets because of his new injury. And your primary factor when you look at Williams this year, at least offensively, is from three. You know, he was a guy with the Pelicans who didn't have any three and D qualities. He had good defense and he could kind of switch around positions, but he wasn't a perimeter threat. He's been shooting above 40% this year, but the last three only shooting 30%. And the only other guy averaging over 10 points a game is Tony Bradley. He's been averaging 10.7 on 66% shooting, got 7.7 rebounds to his name, two of those coming on the offensive end so he's looked pretty good as a backup and I guess I kind of lied when I said there was no one else averaging double digits because Horde in his debut did drop 10 but that does deserve a bit of an asterisk if you know what I'm saying outside of them though not a lot you know Robinson he dropped nine in his game Sfee he's averaging 8.7 Justin Jackson who's not even on the team anymore averaged 7.5 Moses Brown is not feeling it either. He's only averaging 7.3 points, but get this. He's shooting below 50% from the floor, 44.4%. That is not good for him. He was shooting lights out before this little cold spell from the whole entire team, but making it up a little bit with the rebounds. He's still leading the team with 8.7 in this current spurt, 3.7 of those coming offensively but he's just looked a bit off I think that's still something that when you look at the stats you're not going to realize it but I do think this center play really does have one of the bigger impacts on how we have been playing in our games and then so does our bench pieces Ty Jerome he's averaging 7.3 that's about right where you want him so there's no real room to be upset about it but what you can be upset with is the three-point shooting shooting 21 percent off of 4.7 attempts that's uh that's what he was shooting with phoenix actually worse than what he was shooting with the Suns. he was shooting 28 percent so he's got to jack that back up there's one player i would say that i'm really impressed with over these last three games regardless it's going to be darius miller he's the oldest guy who has been playing right now everyone else has been phased out of the rotation but at 30 years old He is still looking pretty strong. He's only been playing 11 minutes a game, but he has been able to make his threes. He has been shooting. He's one of those guys where if he's not feeling it 100% from the three-point line, he'll just quit shooting and kind of play in the background. But you oftentimes kind of need those sorts of players. I think he has been a guy who we throw in in the fourth quarter and he's not really all giddy like all like all these other guys kind of have tended to be. I think it's really just due to the maturity he has. And I don't know if he's going to be with us past his expiring contract. I'd probably bet against it. But, um, you know, even when it comes to other things outside the stats, I think he's been very impressive for the squad. Outside of those 11 guys I just listed, there's actually only two more. Isaiah Roby and Josh Hall. They are are out right now and I'll tell you Roby he has not looked good you know in the last two and just probably the last like two weeks or whatever I think he's gonna get out of it Josh Hall he's slashing in he's hit or miss just like Diallo was to begin the regular season and in years prior so yeah 
I mean, when I'm talking about these stats, guys, I really hope you guys don't take this as like, this is the direction they're going to go. This is honestly just me kind of breaking down the cold spell and maybe some of the reasons why the team has not been able to play to the best of their abilities because we've seen them shorthanded still get victories against pretty solid teams and now it seems like things are kind of just crumbling. It's going to be rebuilt in time. Once you start seeing players like Dort get out of concussion protocol, Roby, Darius Baisley on his shoulder contusion, he's week to week. And SGA, who, if he's going to return, it's probably going to be in like the final 10 days of the season. Don't quote me, but with plantar fasciitis, it's normally going to take you around four weeks, and we still are kind of just nearing that midway point right now. So he's got a good bit of time to go. And then if they want to play it safe, he might be out even further than that. But once you get more of those guys kind of back into the flow of things, you're going to see a lot more cohesion again because everyone's kind of just jumbled right now. I think that Dagnalt is really trying to put these guys in, um, I don't want to say uncomfortable situations, but situations they haven't really seen yet in their professional career. Just kind of bend their mold and see if you can strike any gold in terms of uh, what their prototype and um, blueprint might be heading on into the future. So, it's been rough right now. I think the Hornets game, like I talked about, is going to be a very good kind of gathering game. Um, Terry Rozier and Devontae Graham have been torching us. I know in that opening game we played against them, it was really just a nail-biter because players like Terry Rozier were just killing it by the end of the game. I know Miles Bridges, he like almost single-handedly brought them back in. They were down double digits, and then in like... 30 seconds or whatever it was a one possession game so you just got to kind of keep them controlled but without Hayward without LaMelo Ball it will be a bit easier and I think that's a game where you can kind of try to take things and potentially get a W added to your chest because as of right now the Thunder they have played their 50th game and they are 20 and 30 in the year if you want to take good news from them losing it's their picks are getting a lot better. You know, before this little streak we've had, Thunder, they had the ninth best odds. Now they have the seventh best odds. It's in a tie with the Raptors. So I guess you could call it a bit of a coin flip in terms of what happens there. But as of right now, I'm going to call it as the seventh best odds. When you look ahead, you got Cleveland two games behind and then the Wizards 2.5 away. So they're pretty close here. You know, you don't want to wish them to lose, but if it continues, you just continue to stack up and, you know, for the future, you definitely would want to have a top prospect. I feel like that's a good investment to try to take uh, take your stake in, but you definitely don't want to be losing by 30 points in order to get there, if you know where I am going with that. But other than that, guys, that is going to wrap up today's episode. I thank you all for listening. And I will talk to you all next time. See ya.